Welcome to South Carolina Launch's CEO podcast, where we hear from CEOs on their entrepreneur experience. Welcome to another episode of SC Launch CEO podcast. Um, I'm Lee McElwinnon, an investment manager with South Carolina Research Authority, SCRA. Our guest today is Matt Snyder, CEO and founder at Main Stage Gaming. Welcome, Matt, and thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks, Lee. I appreciate uh, the invitation to be on the podcast. No, glad you're here, man. Um, so let me start off with uh, with kind of an easy one. Uh, just, just walk us through your story and your journey for main stage gaining, just about the company, what it does, and really how did you get into this? All right, Lee, it sounds good. Um, so at main stage, we help organizations uh, engage gamers primarily organizations that have existing communities uh, like a school or a college or a parks and recreation department. And they wanna understand if they have gamers there and how to engage them with the, the growth of esports and streaming on Twitch. Um, and I guess to give you some understanding of where this comes from is growing up, I played a bunch of video games. However, being a little bit older now, uh, there were we're not really many opportunities to get college scholarships or make a professional living off of playing video games, uh, primarily just making them and selling them. Um, so after I graduated from Winthrop University, I went to work for my fraternity's headquarters. And throughout that year traveling, I was exposed to 55 different schools and their fraternity chapter. And during that time, I first learned of esports. And seeing a lot of patterns across those 55 schools of students either using video games or esports as a rush event or competing in intramurals on select schools. And a lot of the schools that was a brand new first semester offering, or they were still in the understanding their student stage. Um, so from there, I went to MBA school at Alabama. And during my first year there, I continued to kind of investigate and learn about esports, eventually uh, leading to making the decision to leave school and try to start a company. Um, however, uh, different from what we do today originally, the uh, original idea was to create some sort of LinkedIn for gamers. Because um, with a lot of local gaming operations, it's really hard to understand what your opportunities are. There's not a map or a place you can go to figure out how many people play Fortnite or FIFA within a geographical boundary. Yeah. And that kind of shifted to becoming the core problem that we were trying to solve is to help organizations understand the gamers within their community and then ways to engage them authentically. Okay, so really what it sounds like is you're you're providing that platform for gamers to be able to to log into so our city of a single sign on to be able to get access to the variety of of games. Is that a, an accurate statement? I would say more along the lines of a high school or a business, a church okay. that has a community of students or um, people who attend the church and they want to engage the gamers. It's pretty easy to understand, you know, the church softball team or the city softball team, exactly. um, things that have existed forever, at least as far as I'm concerned, since I was born. <laughs> right. you, uh, yeah. So, you know, 
cities kind of understand what that population looks like from when people are around five years old uh, getting involved in t-ball or little league football um, and and the different sports. And from there, those opportunities exist through middle school and high school and college and professionally. Um, The differences in the gaming space with it primarily being online, it started globally and professionally rather than kind of at home where most sports start. And as it's grown over the past few years um, and with gaming becoming the largest and fastest growing uh, sector of the entertainment industry, there's a lot of schools that are now getting into esports, understanding that the younger demographics, kids under 16 are 95% of them play video games for five to seven hours a week. So it's kind of a societal shift. So these organizations like a parks and recs department who have been serving their community for years, they don't understand how to start the esports programs and understand what to do because there's hundreds of thousands of different games. So what if they pick the wrong one because they don't understand their demographic and what people do locally? So what we're building is a way for organizations who want to offer uh, esports or or gaming events and programs, a platform that eliminates all of the guesswork and getting started and how to engage. Okay, and that, that so thank you very much. That's a great clarification. I I think when you to riff off of that question, I, I think probably a lot of our our listeners really can't appreciate the the size and the enormity of this market opportunity with with gaming i mean when when you look at everything going on from twitch to fortnite as you say call of duty that that if we're parents a lot of our a lot of our kids play or we play can you give us some context um in that regard and then talk us through a little bit of what you're seeing in the market that states are doing in particular as well as communities like high schools to really engage that demographic for the teenagers Absolutely. Um, I'm going to kind of talk about this in buckets. So the first bucket we'll start with is, is high schools. Um, a lot of high schools are starting esports clubs or programs. And from, I guess, my understanding, I'd say less than 20% of the country's high schools engage their students who play video games. Um, so the majority don't. And through that, primarily is what I've been learning is they're reason they don't start anything is because it's intimidating and they don't know where to start. And a lot of the times they don't necessarily understand the right questions to type into Google to figure out where to start. Um, So from there, we help schools understand their student population and what games they play. And we offer a high school league if there's enough students, but there's other companies that offer high school leagues and Um, with different game offerings. So it kind of helps just fundamentally inform the school of where to go next to how to engage engage these students. Um, Then I guess next moving into the collegiate space, which is a lot more developed in the high school space due to Mm -hmm. students being able to start their own clubs without uh, as much friction as in high school. So from there, talking about in South Carolina, We'll talk about Clemson and USC. They both have gaming clubs that are very big and compete in national events. 
However, when you look at Winthrop University, Winthrop also has a gaming club and they actually have a very large event this weekend that's involving Clemson and USC and Rock Hill. Um, however, Winthrop, unlike USC and Clemson has a varsity team in addition to the club. So I guess hmm. a lot of, then the kind of moving from there, talking about the bridge between high school and college is there's roughly 400 colleges in North America that are giving out scholarships, full rides to high schoolers, good video game players, not just high schoolers though. Um, they give out scholarships to veterans leaving the military who are good at games and all, all sorts of individuals. Um, some schools are even giving out full rides for master's degrees and even higher levels of education for esports because it's not under the NCAA flag or um, governance. So there's okay. a lot of additional opportunities in colleges. And I, I think South Carolina has, has a great opportunity to kind of push forward and be the leader in that, um, which would be a state effort. And to talk about state efforts, um, North Carolina and Georgia are, in my opinion, I think leading this race. Um, North Carolina has recently passed a, a bill in the House, and it's NC House Bill 945. Um, and to paraphrase it, it is putting out enough grant money for both NC State and UNC to build a gaming arena for their students. Um, and additionally, to help with hospitality and accommodations tax revenue. They are providing any event organizer that organizes an esports event in the state of North Carolina. Um, they spend over $250,000 or more. Um, they'll be qualified to get up to 25% of the expenses back towards hosting and running that event. Um, and looking at some historical events from Raleigh, they've had um, the Rainbow Six a game. Um, invitational, and then most recently they had an Apex Legends event. And those events, both events separately, they were weekend long events and had a multi-million dollar impact on the city. I think one cool stat just from the Rainbow Six event, which was a few years ago, is the uh, economic directors for Raleigh uh, discussed how just that event over that weekend alone, they cities, uh, businesses had 2000 job applications from event attendees. So I, I think wow. states and cities that are supporting it can actually draw a lot of interest and talent from people who want to be involved with somewhere that has a local scene. Um, and then Georgia has been doing an, a phenomenal job as well. They host a global event in Atlanta called DreamHack. And it's a, another weekend long event. And the last one they hosted kind of before the age of uh, coronavirus had um, 300,000 people attended over a weekend. And that's, that's incredible, in my opinion, for, for just one weekend long gaming event. Yeah. Um, and in addition, Georgia's also doubling down to, they started what would be equivalent of the SCHSL, um, but specifically to govern Georgia's state scholastic esports league. And uh, they're, one of the states kind of leading the way in that charge. Then tertiary to it is Delaware, who just created a bill, um, not necessarily for events, but to draw in uh, companies that are going to create production jobs um, for yeah. entertainment as production kind of goes hand in hand with this. And in the articles I've read, it discusses how their focus is primarily in esports production to create 
uh, high level jobs that people can start practicing and gaining experience at free from home uh, as soon as they turn the age of 13 and can create internet accounts on different websites like Twitch and Streamlabs. Let's listen, listening to you and the, and the impact that this has for economic development. It's, um, it sounds like there's uh, just inevitably there's a call to action on us in South Carolina to, to follow suit in terms of our, our neighboring states to really encourage um, esports. And yep. um, we are we are sandwiched between uh, who am I considered the two national leaders um, in in terms of putting legislation forward to to yeah. empower uh, the growth of the industry. What and Matt, along the lines of what your company is doing as well, what do you see as the growth in esports for leagues among high schoolers? Your your approach, as you mentioned, is to really get into high schools um, and colleges. Do you see that going down to middle schools? And is you are you seeing that kind of a greater adaptation or a greater engagement by high schoolers once they once they put your product in the high school or it allows them to be able to participate? What are your thoughts there? I'll start with middle school because I, I believe okay. that's the easiest to answer. Okay. Um, so with esports events, it's it's almost required to use the internet. I mean, you have to play over the internet and tra traveling to different schools right now is just not feasible. Um, I think financially, because most schools, like I kind of mentioned earlier, don't have a program. Um, now middle schoolers would have to use internet accounts to help people who organize events like us, or I know there's a group called Generation Esports who has a middle school league. And the the liability for a company to run something for that age demographic is is pretty high because of data laws and privacy laws. Right. Um, and not necessarily coming from like a data selling or a marketing stance. It's simply that you need to track some stats through a season to understand wins and losses, things that kind of don't think about during sports, but you know, I've, grown a great appreciation for is all the stats and the wins and losses being a former wrestler and runner and went uh, during my high school career in South Carolina I could easily log on to the website and check my wrestling record up against other people in my weight class yeah and um which is high school but however you get on to the middle school and you don't have things like that which which makes yeah. it a lot more difficult to get into and I do believe there there's some tech solutions for that um but I'd say, I'd say it'll stem and trickle down to middle schools after yeah. high schools at once districts are more familiar. Um, moving forward, you talked about leagues. Yeah. Um, I guess to understand, are you leagues in general or more youth-based leagues? More youth-based leagues. Okay. Yeah. So I've growing up i played little league i was i was big into baseball and you start that through city ball right um now in terms of esports offerings it's kind of starts online and random whenever you play in a game's multiplayer but in terms of local organized programs um we ran a little league rocket league program with the city of rock hills parks and recreation department um and invited the at uh, Boys and Girls Clubs, the local children's attention home. And I mean, that was a phenomenal event. And 
it's it's different than what most places have traditionally done and are used to like baseball and football and basketball. Um, so in our conversations with the handful of parks and recreations departments that do do esports offerings is they are very hesitant to start online, which is very easy to get into um, and a lot cheaper. So the, the few that I've talked to who do do it have invested the money up front to building some sort of computer lab or land center for gaming. And I'd say one of the best in the, in the country in terms of parks and recreations departments is uh, Florence County's parks and recreation department. Uh, and their game, gaming operation is called Floco Gaming. Um, I know they started about three to four years ago. And I mean, since then, they've had over a thousand unique community members, uh, youth under the age of 18 have come through and participated in, in their league offerings, which is constantly growing. They said uh, in my conversations with the director down there that their league's registration caps usually less than 30 minutes after opening. Opening um, Their first season was full within a minute uh, of being opened and announced. So I, I think there's a a large opportunity to do it. Um, however, it seems the trends are that it, they, if parks and recreation are going to do it, it's going to be in person with the hesitancy to online. But I think it's, in my opinion, it's just misunderstandings of, of certain aspects. And it's all around data and privacy, of course. But there's a, with working with high schools and understanding, there's a, a large number of ways to keep things kind of secure. Because starting online will help you yeah. kind of inform financially of, of number one is building a local center viable. And number two, if it is viable, how large does it need to be? Well, it sounds like from just listening to, um, to what you're saying that just the, um, the growth of esports as a sport, as a, as a real tracked sport is um it's kind of a nascent market right now but it's growing so rapidly that it's you're you're poised to really take advantage of of something that is going to be a norm five years easily from now in most high schools and certainly colleges as you mentioned to your point about uh, the fact that colleges are actually giving esports um awards and scholarships um to, and, give to attract kids and on to to kind of help provide even further like insight and yeah, a little bit of clarity on that. Colleges are—they are giving people who are good at a specific video game full rides. But wow. in addition to that, I've talked to over uh, about twenty-five percent of the current collegiate program directors. And in addition to just people who are good at a game, they are also giving full rides to graphic designers, uh, social media managers, content creators, streamers analysts and videographers, because kind of those professions and roles and skill sets are all kind of required for esports. So yeah. not only can you get a full ride and a varsity letter for being great at Fortnite or Rocket League, but <laughs> if you're great at design, you can be a member of a varsity team on a full ride, which I think is pretty cool um, because it helps the kids who aren't the best at the game, but still have that passion and love for the game to, to kind of, and potentially make a, 
a career and a living off of, you know, that, that passion. Yeah. I mean, it would seem to me that, um, that if you were to call on every principal in high school, that all of them would say, yes, they would, they would love. So it's just a matter of, um, of make, making sure that they're aware of what, uh, what your offering is. Cause it, uh, it really, it hits a mark that there's a need, um, that very few other people provide. What, um, so Matt, along those lines, what, what is it that you, I know we've talked a lot about just the, the esports gaming industry and the fact that your product is adopted by really any organization. It could be colleges, uh, universities, high schools, uh, potentially middle schools, churches, and the like. Where do you see the future of main stage gaming? Where do you want to take the company um, over the next couple of years? So currently we're, we're doing a lot of this manually um, okay. through cold outreach with organizations and everything from end to end is, is manual from us helping do feasibility studies to creating market entry strategies, then running the events that we <laughs> proposed in the market entry strategies all, all the way to kind of recap and listening to uh, ideas to do it all over again. And through doing this for now close to 90 different organizations um, across a variety of verticals, we have are moving forward to build a product to help automate and take a lot of lift off. So what traditionally takes a couple weeks and months to get going, communities will be able to do it in just a couple minutes. Wow. And so that's something you're developing now? Yes. Great. When do you, um, so with your, with that launch, that product launch, what, um, what's your plan then going forward? How you scale this? Cause it sounds like you're pretty well adopted in, uh, quite a few high schools, um, in South Carolina, North Carolina, as well as universities. What are your plans going from there? Yeah. So moving forward, uh, there's going to become a point in time where organizing and manually running events and growing a product are, are going to conflict. So our, our plan is to help kind of use the track record we have in high school and collegiate and find partners who are actual organizers in the space to adopt our product and use that um, to help okay. keep the events going while we continue to innovate and develop on the tools that they're using to run these events um, more successfully and for cheaper. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good strategy. Um, and I know we talked um, in the past just about how the, the streaming, the availability of the internet is critical um, with the, the wider adoption to gigabit and now even larger, faster. What role do you see even telcos and others playing in, um, in the provision of the, the platform that you're developing this on top of and that gamers take advantage of? So there's quite a bit of opportunity, I think, for telcos, depending on how they kind of want to move forward with it. And yeah. uh, we've seen, uh, I, I've seen examples of, you know, telephone, uh, local and regional ISP providers, you know, sponsoring the county fairs pumpkin of the year for fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 or the phone book cover. The greatest one they do is the phone book cover sponsorships. And yeah. with you know, their fundamental offering of, of internet and connectivity. I, I like to think about that as how the city owns a baseball diamond or little league. 
I think internet companies are, are kind of in an interesting position to where they can uh, adopt and utilize, you know, they're offering the internet to create some sort of community out of esports and gaming, um, which there are a few internet companies that have been extremely successful at, um, like uh, MTA Fiber in Alaska, uh, who created their own brand, MTA Esports, and hmm. um, 12 years ago. And they've had Seattle Seahawks players come and be their announcers and casters and desk hosts. They're engaging tens of thousands of local residents annually. And I guess the other example is uh, Paul Bunyan Communications. They have a, a program called Gigazone Gaming, which they have their own product line of internet offerings for Gigazone, um, getting more connectivity, lower ping and latency, things, things very relevant to the competitive gamer. Um, so I think there's massive opportunities for internet companies to, to be involved with this demographic um, and, and gaming in general. Yeah, it sounds that way. So like you said, it's something that, I mean, they're always looking for creative content to deliver and this would be a natural fit. Um, do you mind if I switch uh, switch gears a little bit to just your journey and, and you talk about, briefly about, I know your co-founder as well, as to some of the challenges that in starting a company where you you went through your your typical education and just had a burn, what, what, what was it in you that decided to create the company and along the journey that you've created, what challenges have you faced and how, how have you overcome those? I think the initial point and when I guess things changed was uh, during a conversation I had with a friend from college who worked professionally in the esports e industry as a recruiter and kind of getting off the role of fraternity consulting, which is uh, recruiting intensive as that's how fraternities make money. They sell, sell memberships. So being kind of hyper-focused on, on recruiting practices and strategies on different college campuses for a year um, and him discussing how difficult it was to find gamers and recruit them, especially good ones. It, from there, I just, to be honest, I came extremely obsessed um, mm. and I wasn't sure why. And yeah. I mean, I had like a, a knot in my stomach obsession. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And just over time, I kept kind of digging and digging and which kind of moved forward to challenge number one. Um, Long-term vision is I want to build a technical product. I want to launch a piece of technology, a platform. Yeah. However, I'm non-technical. <laughs> so uh, I guess moving into challenge number one was learning how to communicate with engineers and technical individuals, which I decided to uh, invest some of my time into learning interface design. Because if I could point at a picture and explain how it worked, I feel like I could get rid of that first barrier. Um, and I led into developing quite a passion for user interfaces and more importantly, user experience and, and how everything connects together. Um, which helped me learn about information uh, design and architecture and how everything on the interface is, is data and it can work together. So I think the biggest challenge I've, I've 
faced and am still facing and constantly working on overcoming is, is the non-technical founder trying to develop a technical company and long-term vision. Um, so I've done a lot of things from learning design and interface to my most recent endeavor in learning is reading API documentation to better understand how tools can talk to each other, um, which has really, really helped. Well, once you figure that out, you could probably write a book for those of us that could, uh, could, could need a primer on how do you talk technical, because um, you're right, that's a, that is a challenge for many founders um, today. How on the on the business side, anything I know with uh, with the fact your your education and background, what would you say were your greatest business challenges? Um, and face, you talked about the technical knowledge that you had to have on the business side. Were you comfortable first going started? You understand how to drive the business or how that would go? What do you see as as those? I guess they've arisen throughout it. Um a lot of it due to inexperience and I mean, simply setting up a pitch deck correct way. I mean, there's not, not many places to teach and learn. So a lot of it's self-education throughout the way. Then I guess, in addition to that, I having a background in recruiting and, and a passion for, for recruiting uh, kind of decided to solve my problems by surrounding myself with the right team and the right people and the right mentors and network to, Number one, reduce the amount of time it takes for me to figure out what to learn. Because I think that was a challenge too, is there, there's so much to learn and there's constantly new things coming out that change the way tools or processes yeah. work is, is understanding uh, what to filter out. But in terms of business operations wise, uh, I, I think something that we're continuously working on is, is sales and how we deliver exactly what we're offering with kind of how cutting edge and new this is with people and brands getting into gaming and esports, it's all new tools, all new ways of informing uh, audiences and brands. So coming over those hurdles, because the brands that are in it are pretty big right now that are not endemic to the space, they, um, they're massive brands like Gucci. Gucci is sponsoring a, a training series for a game called League of Legends which I've, you know, before that announcement would have never guessed that Gucci would be a brand that you would see on the front of one of the biggest games in the world and yeah. involved with that. So it's, I think as time moves forward, it'll be a lot more regular of a conversation because I think there's a, a lot of people still see gaming as an enemy or something nerdy that may not fit in their brand. But I mean, the reality is, According to the Entertainment Software Association's annual report, 75% of American households have gaming devices and an equal number of percent of Americans play video games weekly. So it's, it's regular. Yeah, and I think it's, to your point earlier, I think the, it's going to be a larger percentage of our wallets going to be going to gaming. Um, and, you, and, and I think some of the words that you probably hear is a lot of people talking about they gamify user interfaces. They want to appear more like a game to attract a certain demographic. Um, would you agree with that? I, I, I think engage the demographic, but yeah, those mechanics also create like a stickiness 
like daily mm -hmm. login rewards over time that like most of those things started as, as a mobile game strategy to get users coming back daily. So I, I do see a lot of brands doing that. Yeah. However, I'm not a fan of it. Um, it. Personally, I feel like it's potentially taking advantage of uh, that psychology and addictiveness to maintain relationships. Yeah. Well, there, you're, to your point there, there are, I guess, ways in which the, um, the individuals, I guess, engage with a platform and they're so used to with the, the younger demographic to, to playing games that oftentimes for us to be able to engage in a platform, we, we engage more readily if it looks and appears like a game. Um, and so I just, it, it makes me think how um, I think we're going to see a lot more of the user interface being more like games to your point, rewards, the like, how we engage with that, um, the fun part versus just a, a screen, a simple screen. Absolutely. And I think in addition and building off that, the amount of complex inter information that is delivered in a gaming interface is yeah. a, a lot, there's a lot more information there than I guess traditional interfaces. Cause I mean, if you think about how when people playing a game, you know, you have your stats in the bottom corner of what items are, are you're doing, but then in the top right, it's showing everyone else on the map and where they are. And then when people talk, it shows who's communicating. So it's, they've delivered a massive amount of information that allows for real-time interactions. So I think there's a, there's definitely a lot to learn in terms of like interface design and user experience from game companies and traditional web application and platform development. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's, it's an industry that's got, it's going to be on fire. Um, la the last question kind of in summary and is when you think about uh, what SCRA offers and an SC launch program, what comes to mind to you about the impact and the value add that, uh, that has had to you and to your company? I think there's there's multiple ways that we've we've definitely reaped the values of being affiliated and member a member company of the SRA and I mean uh, I guess Lee we'll have to add you to the list probably near <laughs> the top because um, I think our relationship began a few years ago kind of when I was flushing ideas and you know you've yeah, always made time hours sometimes within the same week to sometimes listen to me just ramble about things or to help be a devil's advocate and friction on these ideas to make sure, you know, that having someone that doesn't say every idea is a good idea, which I'm sure is a common problem for startup founders is, is a, an honest sounding board. In addition to that, I mean, there's been introductions made to people that we've done business with, um, whether it be tallow and being an educational presenter for, students in schools to talk about esports and future opportunities to potential clients um, or working with other member companies. Then of course the grants and uh, opportunities for funding and investment. So can't, of course that's, that's financial value, but I think the connectivity of it. And I mean, even this opportunity to share what I'm doing um, for the SC yeah. launch podcast, it's, it's outreach. It's, you know, someone may, have not come across us or heard of us or even thought about gaming. However, you know, potentially even listening to this can say, you know what, maybe I should give a call and just talk about it. Um, which 
I mean, that exact example from a previous member company as well to a strategic partner that we're both reaping benefits off of. So uh, various ways. And yeah. to, me per to me personally, it, it's good to know that I could always have an honest sounding board um, that's for <laughs> free because a lot of information and advice is not necessarily free, which I think the best advice comes comes from free from people who who kind of care about what you're doing and are invested in it, and um, not just financially, but but time investment, which you know that's the SCRA. Very very gracious. That's um, what what you said is uh, resounds. So that's exactly what we want to be able to provide. So thank you for your um, for the comments and and I do hope that those who are listening to this. Will do exactly what you what you said. They'll aspire to get into to gaming, and they'll pick up the phone and call you. And so we'll um, we'll use this as a as a launch pad for hopefully lots more companies that are interested in uh, in gaming. Um, I really, man, I just want to tell you again, thank you so much for for being our guest today. It was great hearing about Main Stage Gaming Story, and uh, look forward to seeing your success in the future. Thanks again. Absolutely, thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. Our pleasure.